Hello and welcome to Catholic Nerds Podcast. This is Scott Smith and Colby Allen. And we have special guests with us, Dr. Arnold Colbreth and his wife, Miss Barbara Colbreth. Thank you all so much for joining us and coming to Louisiana for the Ruth Institute Summit. Welcome. Well, it's glad to, I'm glad to be here. I would like to correct something. I'm not a doctor, oh, okay. and I don't play one on TV. <laughs> Reverend. But thank you for that, that elevation. That's good. I always like to begin a podcast with a dose of humility. So this is good for me. I appreciate that. So would you all tell us about uh, your uh, your history, you know, with Dr. Wilkie, mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, each other, your wow. ministries? I mean, there's just so much we could talk about. So let's go. Okay. All right. Well, my name is Arnold Colbreth, and this is my wife, Barbara Colbreth. Uh, we live in Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, next month we will uh, be married 37 years. Congratulations. So uh, newlyweds. That's right. Every day's an adventure. Exactly. So I've been in uh, preaching ministry for 37 years. And um, uh, I serve in a threefold capacity just so the listeners can understand when it seems like I'm jumping around. It doesn't feel like jumping around to me. Uh, But I serve on staff at People's Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, racially reconciling, generationally rich, life-giving church, thriving in the heart of Cincinnati. It's a stone throw from the University of Cincinnati. Okay. Uh, we also co-founded a, a, a business tree uh, called uh, Breath of Life, Breath of Life. and uh, where we breathe life into every situation. And there's some uh, pun going on there with your th- life. There name. is. There is. That's right. We that's don't right. want a coal life. Yes. Yes. We talk about, um, you know, God breathing into humanity, the breath of life and, and, and man becoming a living soul in um, Genesis 2, I believe is around verse 7. Uh, so that's the breath. And then call breath is our last name. And then um, I'm a professional sax so I play a wind instrument, and it takes breath to do that. So it's all kind of this triple entendre, awesome. if you will. Uh, so under that is the parable in the Bible of the five talents. It talks about one person getting five talents, one person getting two, one person getting one. And they were all expected to multiply them. And then the steward who gave them the gifts comes back. The person with five turned it into ten. The person with two turned it into four. The person with one was afraid and buried it. And he was referred to as a wicked and unprofitable servant. So I don't say this braggadociously. I really say it with um, humility and even a bit of trepidation is that I happen to have been given five talents. So under breath of life, my music is under that. Uh, There is pastoral consultation I've been doing for many years. Uh, My pro-life work when I'm not doing it with the Douglas Leadership Institute um, let me see. What did I miss? Pro life. Did I say pro? I said pro life, right? Pro life. And uh, let me see. Uh, there's two other things under that. <laughs> you know, when the camera's in front of you and the mic, you know. And well, then lastly, that's I'm good the, enough for most uh, groups of people. Wow. And then I'm the national director of ministry engagement mm-hmm. with uh, the Douglas Leadership Institute. Now I want to go back and hit something before Absolutely. I pitch it back to you. When we watch the ministry of Jesus through Scripture. Jesus never switched gears. If he was talking to religious leaders, he flowed out of that part of 
uh, God in him, when he spoke to farmers, when he spoke to a woman at the well, when he met lepers, you know, he just flowed. And what we often do to great consternation for most of us is we bifurcate or compartmentalize the different parts of us. For example, I'm a bank teller by day. I'm I'm an elder at my church by night. You're all of those things. So when you look at everything I just said that I do, a pastor in a church, a founder of a business, and also um, national director of ministry engagement, for me, they all flow together. They're literally three jobs, but they don't feel like that. So when I sit down at various meetings or podcasts or, or, or tables of influence locally, nationally, internationally, I'm bringing all of that and I just want to help the listener to to demystify a lot of this stuff. OK, we are proverbially speaking. Uh, these are my terms. Toolkits, mm. tool bags, parable of the talents. God puts in us different ways to walk out his call and purposes. Yes, that's right. In our lives. And he chooses what to use, when to use, with whom to use, when not to use. Sure. You know, so so don't get jealous of the person that has five or the person that has two or I'm better than this one because they only have one. Well, they may be knocking it out the park with that one and you're struggling with your yeah. two. I was, I was about to say, you, you, list, you list three to five ministries, but for one person to do one of those well is a challenge. So yeah. I just think it, it speaks to the, the spirit that's working for y'all as a family to, mm-hmm. to do so much or attempt to do so much. I'm impressed. Well, to add some humor to it in the midst of the gravity of it, it's it can be likened unto the guy at the circus that's spinning the plates on the sticks. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> one, yeah, one spinning really well. Yep. This one's wobbling, yep. so you got to go. This one just fell and broke, so you got to put a new plate. But you gotta- it's, it's a lot like that, but um, I'm not complaining. I'm grateful. I'm humbled that God would use me to do anything. You know, so I just want to encourage those that are listening to uh, rejoice at whatever gifts God has given you. Don't view them as small or big. They're all gods. And we his property apostrophe S. I'm not calling them gods, (laughs) (laughs) but just use them to the best of your ability. And and I I believe he honors that. I think that also shows something in the beauty of ministry mm. as a not say career but a vocation because mm. uh, even in Dr. Morse's book one of them um, there's a section about the cost of careerism and how today a lot of people they focus so much in the corporate world or their job that you have like you have to segment like you said mm. choose between your job or your ministry mm. but to have the gift to integrate both of those mm. and to be fulfilled or seek fulfillment through God's calling in your life um, very few people can recognize how to do that or even do it well let me that's a great segue let me just give some some simple uh, practical things let's say a person is a bagger in a grocery store i'm just grabbing something off the top of my head but they're 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 a committed follower of christ uh therefore you know when we receive christ into our lives you're immediately in full-time ministry we have this mindset that I have to be paid and I have to be sitting in some church building to be full-time ministry. All of us are full-time. When we interact with people uh, on the in the grocery store, when we're interacting with the, the DoorDash guy, when, we're, yep. when, when, when the person cuts you off 
on the highway. Yeah. You're, you're full-time ministry. What does that look like? You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So, so I'm saying that to say when you're in the grocery store and you're bagging those groceries, be be the, the, the hands and the feet of Christ. A smile goes a long way. A thank you. A may I help you. A please. An excuse me. Those are all ministry. And we do such a disservice when we uh, put it up on this ivory tower kind of a only a handful you know meet the qualification none of us meet the qualifications yeah. you know what i'm saying well such a good such a good point too because even the most simple things i try to make an effort when i go to the grocery store most of the times they're wearing a name tag mm. call them by name wow ask yeah. them hey what time is your shift in yeah. how's your shift been so mm. i make that a personal interaction not just a transactional one yeah and it makes their day a lot of times yeah and then You're when i go back the next right. time we recognize each other and then yes. just continue that conversation. You know, um, we live not far from a, from a Kroger grocery store, and uh, they hire a lot of people with special, you know, with, with disabilities. Oh, and I love interacting with them. There's this one young man that, that he pushes the carts, collects the carts and pushes them in. He's the most jovial guy, and he's funny, and, and he's loud. I don't think he realizes how loud he is yeah. <laughs> when you say, hey, how you doing? Hey! Yeah. <laughs> but I love it. I mean, you, yeah. you're, you're blessing people. You're touching people. You're you're exuding Christ or not. <laughs> and, and persons with disabilities, you know, like Down syndrome, mm-hmm. I mean, that is, it's like the love of Christ on full display. Come on. You know, uh, and let's talk about populations that have been disproportionately affected mm-hmm. by abortion. Yes. Well, that statistic, mm-hmm. 1960? Yeah. That was amazing. Is that is that not powerful? Yeah. It's 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 bone chilling. Yeah, it it really is. And and I'll give that statistic just for the for the uh for the listener. Uh in in um let me make sure I got it right. I want it here in front of me. Yeah, the way, way you presented it uh here at the Ruth <laughs> Institute Summit, which everybody should go to, uh, was very powerful. Well basically it's a, it's an abortion population comparison. Mm-hmm relative to the black community because unbeknown to too many uh, abortion is the leading cause of death in the black community it's higher than all other causes combined let me say that another way if you take heart disease violent crimes accidents diabetes cancer add them up together they don't come up to the number of black abortions now we know that that is in part due to the intentional targeting by Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry to place their killing centers in communities of color. But part of the result of that, to the point of what you just asked, is that since 1973, when and I can't I can't go any further until I acknowledge that on yesterday, yeah. the death decree of 73 was overturned. Is that not powerful? And I believe prophetically there, there's a shift in our nation because the, the, the national covenant with death, uh, Isaiah 28 and 15, the national covenant with death that we've made with this nation has been broken for the unborn, right? Now the battle becomes state to state, and we can talk about that in a little bit. But since 1973, about 19 million black babies have been killed. 63 million-ish total, but 19 million in the black community. Now, some people may say, well, 63 million, 19 million is not that many. But you got to look at population comparisons. In 1960, there were 18,871,831 black people living in the whole nation. We've aborted more than that number. Right. 
And one of the things I've been challenging communities of color concerning when they say, you know, abortion isn't really as big a deal as we make it out to be. Nobody's really asking the question why in the last decade plus, 10 to 12 to 15 years, the black community in the United States has hovered around 12 to 13 percent. It hasn't gone much above that. We need to look at that and and see it's not all um, uh, police on black issues. You know what I'm saying? Sure, sure. So kind of related to that. So correct me if I'm wrong, but for listeners He's talking about the concentration of Planned Parenthood or abortion surgical facilities mm-hmm. being concentrated in minority communities yes. across you, the country. Yes. You put it at 79%. That's right. Okay. They can go to protectingblacklife.org. Protectingblacklife.org is a ministry that I founded under Dr. Jack Wilkie mm-hmm. when I worked at Life Issues Institute. It was, it was, a, it was a department within that organization and um it's funny be, and i didn't get to all this because i only had 15 minutes on the panel in the uh in the conference that's awesome <laughs> well i left a senior pastoral role at the largest african-american church in cincinnati ohio wow. and i and i went to life issues institute because the the lord was well i won't get into all the details because it didn't happen in as sterile a, a scenario as what I'm talking about, oh, sure. right? Most of the times when God thrusts us into moments of greatness, it is like the mother bird kicking the baby out of the nest. It's like, okay, Junior, you're big. It's time. You know, you're eating up all the food. You got to go. So he causes rough occurrences to get us out where on our own we never would have we never would have taken the leave, right? Like if you lose a job or if you, any of those things, yes, opportunities yeah. for growth. Yes. Yes, and and a lot of times, it's not always the devil behind it. We blame him. An unplanned pregnancy. Come on now, yeah, yeah. And speaking of unplanned pregnancies, you know, they're 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 um, you know they're unplanned parents, but there's never any unplanned pregnancies. I mean, God is always involved in those scenarios, you know, and that's 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 pretty cool relative to the intentionality. And the forethought of of Almighty God, um, yeah. So so so, seventy nine percent of Planned Parenthood surgical abortion facilities are in walking distance of Black and Brown communities, and they'll see that study at protectingblacklife.org. Yeah. So we sat in on a forum that Reverend Colbert uh, spoke on and showed a visual of the country. It's a map mm-hmm. and kind of puts pins where those facilities are located mm-hmm. and then there are color coatings mm-hmm. based on the i guess the demographic within yes. the area, right that's right so i'll tell you uh, part of my professional background is uh analytics mm. and so i facilitate a lot of research in my company and mm. use a lot of data visualization so whenever you put up a map with colors and you give the meaning behind those it's my question is what sparked i guess the curiosity or the 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 initial what made you want to do that research? Because there's probably anecdotal evidence. Let me just take it off his jacket, y'all. Get it right. <laughs> there's always, in the, in the research field, there's always anecdotal evidence that people talk about. But when you really dig in and try to get the data and, as you say, corroborate with the mm-hmm. data, yeah. what sparked you looking into that? What sparked me was most of the time when um, Planned Parenthood is called on the carpet, they're age-old talking point is that only 3% of our services are abortion. 
Okay, so we started to unpack that. And um, uh, architecture is another one of those five things mm. under Breath of Life. Oh, you're an architect? I have a degree in architecture, oh, engineering, nice. and degree in, three, in yeah, theology. My, back, my uh, undergrad's chemical engineering. Wow. And God help me, I'm an attorney now. <laughs> so, anyway. That's awesome. <laughs> but they would say 3%. So we started to unpack that. How do you get to the 3%? And that 3% is real based on their twisted analytics, right? Mm-hmm. A woman comes in and they check her in. Check that off the box. That's a service. Mm-hmm. We took her temperature. Check that off the box. We we weighed her. We took her weight on the scale. Check that off. And they keep going. If they, they had, if they took uh, twenty condoms with them, is that, yes, yeah, that's a that's service. Twenty checks. However, that's right. The count of she services went. is not proportional, which I guess will yeah, yeah, lead yeah. to it. Is not proportional to the revenue that actually comes in. Exactly. Sure. But when you look at the matrix from the way I just explained it, and the woman left out with an with an abortion as well. Then, then, technically speaking, that was only three percent of what they served her with. That's how they get to that. So I got, I, I got agitated. You know, the whole uh, yeah. righteous indignation is 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 a mean thing. Turn those tables. I, yeah. Yeah. So I start praying, and it's like, well, Lord, what what can we do? And that's when we came up with the idea to do this research and to geek out a little bit more. It, it, when you look at that map. And you scroll down onto uh, those points and you click on it, you'll see that screen that I showed. That's the pictograph of the racial demographics of where those those, uh, Planned Parenthood surgical abortion facilities are. If you if you take the little man that's up on there because it's a Google analytic map mm-hmm. and you and you lasso him around it, you can go down the street level in real time and wow. see that center and what it looks like. You'll see cars driving by and everything because wow. it's it's Google mapping. Wow. Powerful and stuff. Where we find this? Protectingblacklife.org. And let me just say a word about protecting black life. I struggle with that name, but God gave me that. I believe God gave me that name as a dream in a dream Mm -hmm. because we wanted our focus to be clear as to what our primary mission was. Dr. Jack Wilkie hired me to 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 build a, a ministry, to build a department, they called it that quickly blew up into national and I'll talk about that but he wanted it to be geared toward the black community because we're decimated more disproportionately than any other people group now people would always ask me not only black people but non-black people would ask me well why are you calling it protecting black life don't aren't you concerned about all babies absolutely our hearts ache and break for all 3,000 approximate babies that are killed by abortion every day in the United States before Roe versus Wade, okay? Uh, but our primary target audience, not exclusive, but primary target audience is the black community, hence the name Protecting Black Life. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And that can be, uh, that interactive map is found again at protectingblacklife.org. Awesome. Yes. I know. I know you've got a question that you've been waiting on. I do. So fire away. <laughs> uh, during the forum, you mentioned, and again, correct me if I'm wrong. If this falls under the DLI and suit, or how exactly do this? But you mentioned three values mm. or missions that you'll try to achieve. So strengthening the family, mm-hmm. criminal reform, mm-hmm. and then supporting economic development. Yeah, it's actually four. Okay, but um, strengthening the black family again—that's the same kind of ideology that I just said relative to protecting black life. Okay, we're concerned about uh, the um, the denigration of all families 
But our mission and mantle at the Douglas Leadership Institute is on the black family, right? The second thing I shared was supporting uh, criminal justice reform. Why do I say that? Well, the statistic has hovered for a while around 72 to 75% fatherlessness in the black community. In other words, the father is absent. Now I'll give you, uh, I live in Ohio. Cincinnati, Ohio, we have prevailed upon our governor, Governor DeWine, for quite a while, and he's doing a relatively good job on working on these things, and that is that uh, the, the, uh, the drug-related sentencing in our state is so heavy-handed and lopsided. I'll give you an example. You can take a young black man who has the same amount of weed on him as a young white man. Now I'm not condoning weed, weed, mm. and I'm not con- I'm not um I'm not um ignoring that sin, right? But sure, but you sure. but they've, they've got the same amount of weed and the young black man gets eight times the sentencing. Wow. As the young white man historically in our state, we've got the case studies and everything. It's also a disparity in representation. Absolutely, that's absolutely a part of it. But here's the here's the here's the bottom line: Um, it's a low level, nonviolent drug offense that takes that young black man out of the home, hence filtering right into that high family problem. Come on, exactly. So 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 when we talk about strengthening the black family, we've got to look at this piece as well. And then there's also um, uh, securing economic and educational opportunity. I can't remember what speaker said it, but earlier someone said whenever there's a national tragedy, people very easily recognize that it's an issue of fatherlessness home, Mm. but they never continue that question and say, why is that home fatherless? Yeah. Yeah. It's like we recognize like the immediate symptom per se, but it's like, what is the root? Right. Wow. What actually is the remedy to that? Yeah. And, 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 and that, that reminds me of something I, I was trying to get at on the panel discussion, but just didn't have enough time. And I was talking about people in my age group, I'm 60 years old, but people in my age group that interface with millennials and Gen Z and, and younger, many of them came out of those homes where there was no male present, right? So I hear older generations say, oh, that's just so terrible. They're wearing their pants sagging and they're, and they're doing this and they're doing that and all of this stuff. Don't they know better? Well, that's, that's a presupposition at best, you know, because when you have real conversations with them, most of them don't know better. Sure. They don't know what a real father looks like, you know. And if you get a young woman who's who I don't want to say it that way, who who's got father issues because her dad wasn't there, then she's looking for you know looking for those traits and things in men, and she doesn't even really know what those traits look like. So so. I don't feel like I'm personally responsible for saving the world. Jesus did that. (laughs) But I do feel like those of us that were fathered well, that were mothered well, have the responsibility to impart that to others. And I try to do that every opportunity I can. I'm always around, not always, but frequently around young people, just pouring into them in little ways. Sometimes it's teaching sometimes it's modeling you know what i mean and you, you called it discipling yeah it's it, it's a discipleship we call it oftentimes mentoring today mm-hmm. but jesus called it discipleship you know because really we want to get them to christ first otherwise know? they don't have the wherewithal to to do the things you're you're espousing grace. it takes the power of the holy spirit the grace of god absolutely with 
So is in is it in your um, your church congregation? A different one, one of your different uh, hats? Uh, are y'all doing couple to couple ministry? Is it is that the form it's taking? Um, that does happen. Okay. But one of the things I love about Breath of Life, about People's Church, and about Douglas Leadership Institute is all of these forums are doing all of these things. Mm-hmm. For example, when people do the um, the normal rebuttal, that's maybe not a right way, a good way, accusation, the common accusation that you pro-lifers are only concerned about the baby in the womb. Yeah. Now. I'm going to say this, and I stand by what I'm saying. There are many in our movement that seem to be primarily focused on the baby in the womb, not helping the woman to get sufficient services and get out of the crisis and those kinds of things. Uh, uh, so, But what, what I appreciate about the streams that I'm in and even my own life personally, and I give God the glory, I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal, is that when people talk about uh, homelessness, when people talk about illiteracy, when they talk about these various other um, um, realities that 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 oftentimes contribute to abortion we've been speaking and writing and working around all of those things for decades that's disarming for people when they when they um when they accuse you and 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 one last segue and i i don't want to say i love cuz that's too too trite Part of, I believe, what the mantle God has thrust on me with my personality, with my smile, with the relationship network and capital he's entrusted us with, it's an opportunity to speak some strong things to the pro-life movement, which I am a part of locally, nationally and internationally. Right. So let's let me just speak raw. If 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 a white pro-lifer wants more African-Americans to be involved in the movement, then there needs to be some broken heartedness, some empathy, some tears shed about many of the issues that impact us, which in my opinion, uh, God's opinion based on his word are, are issues of injustice as well. You know, if if George Floyd, you know, is killed in the street with a knee on his neck and we watch that, you know, should not we lament that perhaps even uh, participate in some of those of events. Now, I'm not saying you need to go all the way over in the arena of Black Lives Matter right, because right. I don't. But uh, but but we still should care and be concerned. And maybe if we show some care, I'm talking to the white uh, pro-lifers that are listening. Maybe if we show some cons- care and concern on that side, maybe we might get more empathy and listening ear on the other side. Does that make sense? Yeah, we can't we can't represent as a contradiction. Yeah. Yeah. We- and, and there's that, no contradiction that, in Christ. Yes, but there is contradiction in the movement. And I love the movement. I'm part of the movement. Well, sometimes I love the movement. I'll give you one of the things that 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 irks me with the movement. I have the privilege of being in very high-level, closed-door pro-life meetings with national heads of pro-life ministries. When I say closed door, we're talking about strategies and other kinds of resources and things that we don't want out, you know, so that the other side doesn't know what we're doing. But it's almost like, and I don't apologize for saying this. I would say it if they're sitting here because I do it in meetings. It's almost like little kids 
you know, arguing at the playground over the sandbox. It's like, well, you don't do adoption, so you don't really understand it, and you don't do foster care, and, and you don't stand in front of the, the uh, abortuaries, you know, and, and everybody thinks their thing is the thing. Yeah. So but if we're a football team, yeah. And all of us are quarterbacks. We gonna lose. Exactly. All right. We need somebody blocking, somebody catching, somebody cheering with pom pom, somebody making a quarterback. Yeah, come yeah. on, man. <laughs> Collaborating we, on strengths instead of yes. accusing each other of not doing the right thing. And that's one of the things I love about our movement. I know I'm pivoting on an accusation I just made, but I, that's one of the things I love about our movement because when you talk about legislative kinds of things, when you talk about pregnancy center work, we've got all of these. I'll use military terms because I'm a United States. Army veteran, but we've got all of these battalions in the movement, and when they're focused on their thing, you can stay focused on your thing. Exactly. So the question becomes to the listener, what is your thing? It, it may not necessarily look like somebody else's thing, but it's going to contribute to the thing, as we just saw yesterday with the overturn of the Roe versus Wade. Amen. Come on, somebody. <laughs> oh, sorry. Let's talk... Uh, let's talk about your wife's ah, Barbara's. That's the real champion. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me just kind of set it up if I could. Uh, my wife, Barbara, uh, for the listener, uh, sitting next to me, incredible woman of God, uh, loves the Lord. Her father's a pastor. My father was a pastor. Her father's still pastoring and preaching. Um, he's 92 years old. Wow. And he's still pastoring and preaching in Dayton, Ohio. But uh, Barbara had an abortion two years before we met. I was in Dayton, Ohio, uh, attending architecture school. And at the nudging, and that's an understatement of a little old lady in my apartment building, she was always trying to get me to her church to hear her pastor. Mm -hmm. And that church and that pastor is my now father-in-law oh, of soon gosh. to be 37 years. So that's how I met my wife. So we're dating, and I'm, I'm throwing marriage out there. I didn't ask her to marry me, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm giving away man code here for the guys, <laughs> but you float it out there. Just to test the probability of a, of a favorable response. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And she wasn't saying anything. And I'm like, am I losing my swag? You know, what, what, what's happening? She ain't saying nothing. And um, so we're sitting in the car, Dayton, Ohio, after a movie and dinner night. And, and, she, and we're laughing and stuff. And then she all of a sudden gets serious. And she said, you know, if we're going to go forward, there's some things I need to say. Um, you know, and I'm like, okay. And, and she said, um, you know, you've mentioned marriage several times and I've not said anything. And I'm like, you're right. What's up with that, right? <laughs> she didn't know you. She was just... <laughs> exactly. So, I, so, so I, I got nervous. I really did. It was a tension. And, 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 and I'm thinking, okay, is there another man? You know, what's getting ready to happen here? Is it going to be a Jerry Springer moment? She's going to say she used to be a man. What, what, you know, we're at the Roof Institute, survivors of the sexual revolution. You know, I, I didn't know what was getting ready to happen. And she shared with me her abortion story, which she's getting ready to share with you all. And she, and she said to me, I'll never forget it, Barbara. She said, I could still smell the smells in that place. I could still hear the sounds. She said, I'm damaged goods. She said, if you don't want to move forward, I want to understand. And I'm grateful that she shared that with me before we said I do yeah. so I could have the chance to process and make a decision. I think I chose the right thing. But, Barbara, would you just share whatever's on your heart, however the Lord leads you? Um, 
I think it'll bless the listeners and maybe even um, your journey working for the city of Cincinnati 32 years now you're retired and in your in, now you're part-time at the Elizabeth New Life Pregnancy Center uh, in Cincinnati um, well my journey to recovery uh, started when um, he was working at um, Life Issues yes. Institute. Life Issues Institute. With Dr. Wilkie. With Dr. Wilkie. <laughs> and um, they happened to mention uh, recovery from abortion. Uh, abortion. And I had never heard of that. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh my goodness, there's other women who regret their abortions. And I thought, well, I need to go through that class. <clears throat> and uh, it was just so... Um, healing for me to go through that class, and uh, so since then, uh, can you whenever, describe the class? Uh, it's um, well, we went through um, the class of forgiven and set free, and it's basically uh, eight week Bible class that okay. they walk you through, and um, just. Uh, allows you to know that God forgives you and that you can forgive yourself. And for the listener, most pregnancy centers, and I work with hundreds of them, most pregnancy help centers across the country offer post-abortion Bible studies and healing ministry free. Yeah. What was the name of this program? This one's called Forgiven and Set Free. And then there's also Rachel's Vineyard. Rachel's mm -hmm. Vineyard. There's Save One. There's several of them out there, and all of them good. As a matter of fact, uh, Forgiven and Set Free has a male counterpart called Healing a Father's Heart, and it's built on the same kind of a, of a model. And you're in a peer group, so you're in there. If you're a woman, you're in there with other women that have had abortions, or you're in there with other men that have. But men suffer from abortion, too. Sure. They just suffer differently, differently. Sure. right? But, yeah. but it impacts them. Go ahead, babe. So basically, um, whenever the opportunity arises, I like to uh, share my testimony in churches because you, I never heard anybody talk about abortion. Now, hold on a minute. She never heard anybody talk about abortion, and I'm not, I'm not bashing her father, but her father was the preacher, right? So most pastors yeah. of, of all persuasion don't necessarily preach or teach on this, because they don't know themselves, or yeah. I'll get to this in a moment. They have abortions in their own past, so they feel like they're hypocritical to talk about it. Exactly. Sure. Go ahead, babe. That's about it. Now, um, <laughs> as part of the forgiven and set free Bible study, they did some unique things to help you all bring closure at the end of that. There was one woman that did a beautiful liturgical dance. There was another woman that wrote a poem. And, and you all, those that wanted to name the baby, you named that. The, the 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 boy David and you said mm -hmm. you felt like God let you know it was a it was a boy mm -hmm. and and I thought that there would be other male significant others or husbands at that graduation ceremony uh, as well it was a group of eight nine ten women I'm the only guy there oh, wow. 
you know, so again, the absence of the man. Yeah. But but can you talk about that point of closure? Because I think there might be some listeners that, that God's stirring some things in their heart and they're, they're now intrigued and want to go to the pregnancy center and they want to know what that experience was like. What was that graduation like? Uh, it was um, kind of like a closure of um, putting a face or gender to uh, the baby and uh, kind of lifting the baby up to the Lord. And, uh, and when you say gender to the baby, you're mm-hmm. saying it's either a little boy or it's a little girl, right? right? Okay, mm-hmm. okay, I just wanted to be clear <laughs> so the listener wasn't confused. <laughs> <laughs> this is 2022. Yeah, it's <laughs> too many options. Come on now. <laughs> you know, but it really aren't. Yeah, that's right. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. So, so, so you retired from the city and you're walking through the house. I remember it. And you, I don't know if you were really talking to me because I'm in the dining room. I'm doing some work. You walk through the dining room to the kitchen and you made this statement. You said, I would just like to help more women with my testimony. And, and I feel like unofficially that was a prayer. It was one of those things you whisper, you know, under the under a soft tone. And God says, ah. I'll get that. Mm-hmm. And it was only maybe two and a half, three weeks later wow. that she's working part time at the pregnancy center. I'm mm-hmm. like, wow. <laughs> any any comments on that? Um, well, I wanted to uh, just uh, help other women if I could either help them to keep their babies or to move them on to uh, healing and adoption. Uh, and adoption. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. I think personal witness, like you said earlier, Reverend, just making that connection of empathy mm-hmm. makes all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. And so the message of healing can come different from you versus someone else that might have not experienced that or mm-hmm. had different perspectives. Um, so maybe one of the questions I'll ask. So earlier you mentioned one of the main critiques or accusations of the pro-life movement is you care about the babies, but you don't care about anything else. Uh, so I will make a shameless plug, an organization that I currently volunteer with in the very near future. It's called the DeZormo Foundation. You need to spell that because that's yeah, one yeah. of those. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what? <laughs> DeZormo, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, but the DeZormo Foundation in Lafayette, Louisiana, uh, was founded by a lady named Ms. Brenda DeZormo. Mm. And her whole mission was, was the answer to that accusation, mm. is how do you support women in crisis pregnancy or domestic situations that they need to escape through their pregnancy, so helping with medical treatment, mm-hmm. getting the help that they need in that case. Um, helping with delivery, so providing them support throughout the entire process, economic support, so if they need financial assistance or if they need a place to live, they have a home and counseling services, and then even post-birth, providing them, again, economic, emotional, and community support, I think up to a year after the baby's born. Mm, That's good. So that entire process of they're in this situation of crisis, they need help with the medical, you know, aspect of it, but then also you can't just have the baby and go out on the street. They help them again with housing and all the support. So it's kind of like the full hand up through the process instead of just, okay, we here's your resources, here's the head knowledge you need, go do something with it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's that community aspect of giving them that again that one on one support throughout the whole process. Mm-hmm. Um, so, just to say it, I'm a middle aged not middle aged. I'm a young, <laughs> bald white guy. <laughs> uh, don't have much experience. Good looking white guy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Don't have much experience with crisis pregnancy, um, but I'm being charged with developing educational resources to help young women learn about relationships or sexuality or trying to help before 
getting to that point of crisis. And let me let me let me piggyback on that if I could. You said you don't have much experience, but it, it, most of the time, uh, God is looking for a simple yes from us. You know, I don't know many people that come into whatever they're called into with this this vast array of knowledge, you know, and even the revelation, knowledge, resources, networking that God um, uh, connects us with. Most of the time happens after the yes, you know, many of God's blessings are motion activated. You know, over my garage door, I have a motion light. It's got two floods. And if the car pulls up or a squirrel runs across, those lights come on, right? Mm -hmm. So people are praying and they're waiting for great revelation from God. And it doesn't seem like he's speaking. Why? Because you're not moving. When you start moving and you say, yes, those lights come on. Now there's money released. Now there's connections. Now there's resources. So there are some people listening, I dare to believe, that have been waiting for a long time for that perfect moment. I'm going to bust your bubble. There is no perfect moment. Maybe now is the perfect moment. You know, you don't know what you're going after. You don't know how God is going to move. That's the perfect storm for him to do what he going to do, right? I'll give you real real quick the story of Providence, how I even got here was, so about 10 years ago I started a journey, personal journey of learning about anthropology and sexuality and relationships Mm -hmm. through an organization called the Theology of the Body Institute. Uh, They offer a certification program to help empower people to be speakers and witnesses on this topic. Uh, I went through the full education curriculum, spent a good bit of money, and then I just put it down, mm. and I didn't finish the, the full course. Mm. Um, so that was seven, eight years ago. And most recently, uh, my wife and I were talking. I was like, you know, I did all this work, all this investment, and I haven't done anything with it. I really need to pray about, is the Lord calling me to do something with this now? That's what your wife said. So we both talked to that mm. that week. <laughs> that week. Uh, a friend of mine had reached out to me with this opportunity to join this organization. Wow. See, that motion activated, you know? And only a living thing can move, mm. right? Mm. And only a living fish can swim against the stream. Oh, you went deep. <laughs> you went deep. <laughs> you just, nerded out, man. I'm, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm stealing that from uh, Chesterton. Ah. Uh-huh. You don't have to say that. You know, what we do as, as speakers is, you know, the first time it's like so-and-so said. The second time a great person once said. And the third time, as I always say. So, as an uncle who's an academic, and he will clearly say the best academics are the ones who are the best paraphrasers. <laughs> but but I, I, I interrupted you. Were you going to say more about? Oh, that was really the end of my insight. Mm. <laughs> But but I really want to encourage the listeners that you don't have to have a business card. You don't have to have a title. You don't have to have an official, you know, ministry. As God is moving your heart, maybe even in conjunction with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, maybe you've been thinking about it for a long time. And now that 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 burden, that thought about it is is bubbling up. I, I submit to you, that's the Holy Spirit moving on your heart. And, and your understanding is not a prerequisite to your obedience. Just say yes to God, and he will then start putting pieces together. I had no idea I'd be doing what I'm doing locally, nationally, and certainly not internationally. God just kind of, my dear friend, Father Frank Pavone, he's the national director of Priests for Life. That's my dude, right? He yeah, like says, and Corey Leone's uh, autograph on baseball. Ah, that's my man. He says, you don't choose the pro-life movement. It chooses you. You know? Yeah. Sometimes God 
I don't mean to be disrespectful, Lord, but sometimes God trips you into stuff. You walk in <laughs> past, and He just like, yeah, you, you duped me, oh Lord, and I allowed myself to exactly, be duped. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but those are the best places to be. Let's talk about, if I may, um, at Douglas Leadership Institute, we have this incredible project. It's called the Jeremiah One and Five Project. Okay, in Jeremiah chapter one, verse five in the Bible, it's God is speaking to Jeremiah. He says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and I called you to be a prophet to the nations. So let's just briefly unpack that verse. We see three P's. I'm a preacher, so it comes out in alliteration. First thing you see is the purview of God. He sees all and knows all. He saw us even from our mother's womb. Second thing we see is personhood. He didn't say he he, he didn't say he saw a clump of cells. He said, I saw you, Jeremiah. And clump of cells argument comes from the abortion industry. And in some aspects, they're right. We're all clumps of cells. Yeah. You know, some of us are just bigger clumps than others. So we see the purview of God. We see the personhood of God. And we see the purpose of God. He called uh, Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations. So all of us are called to do something, whatever that might be. Again, don't do the hierarchical thing. This person's called to be a doctor. This person called to be a president. This person called to be a janitor. All are significant. We had janitors in my in my primary school that were tremendously um, influential. I mean, they'd make sure you weren't cutting class and you They're weren't. Present. Come right. on, man. In the hallway. Right. Yeah. So so we've taken this verse. We've partnered with the Church of God in Christ which is the largest African-American Pentecostal denomination in the United States. They are the Douglas Leadership Institute's strategic partner on our Jeremiah 1 and 5 project. And we are unashamedly, boldly going after African-American pastors to reverse the curse of Margaret Sanger. That's how she infiltrated the black community is through black uh, black pastors. A matter of fact, I'm going to read a quote from Margaret Sanger concerning her strategy. She wrote this letter to Dr. Clarence J. Gamble, the same Dr. Gamble of the Procter & Gamble Enterprise, uh, okay. which is headquartered in Cincinnati, Ohio. So I have a personal gripe wow. about this whole thing. Wow. But he was the president of the American Eugenics Society, right? And she was on that on that uh, eugenics board. Uh, she wrote this letter. She says this statement in a letter, 1939. We should hire three or four colored ministers, preferably with social service backgrounds and with engaging personalities. The most successful educational approach to the Negro, she wrote, is through a religious appeal. We don't want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. So so many churches will do health fairs. They will do blood pressure screenings. They will do um, um, uh, other kinds of things. I've even seen them have a mobile unit where they'll do prostate exams mm-hmm. for the men, you know, yeah. in the in the sanctity of those mobile units and various things. It's it's geared toward health and wholeness kind of a thing. In many black church contexts, um, Planned Parenthood 
will have a booth at those same health fairs, right? And even though they're generally underwritten by the local medical community, TriHealth or, or whoever the case may be, is paying for it, mm-hmm. Planned Parenthood will still grease the palms of that pastor because we know we know times are tough and, and costs are exorbitant. Wow. And we do, Well, what are they doing? They're buying their way in uh, allegiance. So most African Americans across this nation, if you rail against Planned Parenthood, you're going to have a fight on your hands. Oh, they do good things. And Well, what do they do? They have um, low-dose birth control. They have inferior prophylactics, right? Because their job, they're, they're not job, but they're, it is their job, but their goal is to weaken your sensibilities, heighten your confidence on these inferior products, hence heightening the probability mm-hmm. I, I have friends who have worked in the abortion industry and now they're on our side of the equation who have said their goal was to get right. three to five abortions out of a young woman by age 21 wow. right so so yeah they want to, they want to make you think that they're while, your friend while severing that tie between parent and child exactly you know it reminds me of and I have these weird analogies. Maybe I'm. Maybe I should be one of the geeks on the show. Go for it. But you know, there's these old Looney Tune cartoons. You know where the like where Acme the, made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the fox is in the hen house and he's got the feathers on and he's clucking like. Yeah. But in, and the chickens are like just you know. That's what Planned Parenthood does. Foghorn Leghorn <laughs> is just uh, being all brash, not helping the hens. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Wow. So so my hope is that. Uh, as we wrap up, uh, I, I do want to um, go back to the Jeremiah 1 and 5 project. If people will go to our website at dlinstitute.org forward slash Jeremiah. Again, DL for Douglas Leadership, named after the great Frederick Douglass. Uh, dlinstitute.org forward slash Jeremiah. Uh, you'll see the talking points for our Jeremiah 1 5 project. We're asking pastors and leaders and people of goodwill to pray. Again, these are P's. Pray for an end to abortion. Thank God for yesterday. Roe versus Wade overturned. Now we've got a tremendous battle at the state levels. So you mean the pro-life movement isn't over? It is not over, unfortunately. <laughs> and even if abortion was totally gone in a, in a, in a perfect world, mm. there's so much post-abortive carnage. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, Planned Parenthood, Planned Parenthood says... That one out of every three women will have had at least one abortion by age 45. And many of them are sitting in our church pews. And I hate to say it, gentlemen, but they're in the Catholic Church as well. Sure. You know, And they're sitting and they're silently suffering, yeah. just like Barbara was sitting in her church and never hearing yeah. a, a pro-life message you know, from the pulpit. So what we do at the Douglas Leadership Institute is we train pastors uh, to, to male and female to... to to respectfully share this message, right? So to, to close us out, mm-hmm. I want to make sure you have mentioned all the different ways we can reach you, mm-hmm. all the websites. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, if you wouldn't mind, closing us in prayer. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mentioned protectingblacklife.org. Um, I no longer work with that organization, but that website is where that map is. Okay. So that's a tremendous okay. resource. If they want to find me, they can find me at uh, dlinstitute.org dlinstitute.org and there's a little contact tab on there and it'll go to our admin and they'll they'll reach out to me and um, I just want to encourage people to, to do something 
you know, and, and God will show you what that something is. Um, and it's probably not going to be as terrifying as you might think it is. Put, put out into the deep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that will finish my uh, fish metaphor. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, these kinds of divine intersections where there are people that are going about your business in different parts of the nation and different parts of the world, not even knowing one another, but you'll cause a conference or some other serendipitous moment to cause people's uh, destinies to collide. Father, thank you for Scott and thank you for Colby and thank you for the Catholic Nerds podcast. Father, thank you for Barbara sharing her testimony. And God, we just lift up the listener that that has had an abortion, Father, and, and perhaps is Falling right now, Father, out of out of um, a guilt and, and shame and maybe even feeling some hope and feeling some release. Father, we ask your blessing upon them, that you would guide them toward a local pregnancy help center, Father, so that they can get the, the post-abortion help that they need, oh God. Father, there are those that that, that are, are, are screaming out in joy, whether literally or whether in their hearts, because now they've been motivated to do something. Holy Spirit, lead them, guide them as to what that right something for them is, Father, whether it is um, uh, voting uh, more righteously, Father, for candidates that that will uphold life, Father God, whether it is writing letters to their local legislator when there are um, anti-life legislation being pushed, Father, whether it is silently praying in front of an abortion center or volunteering at a pregnancy help center. God, there are so many many things that can be done that are equally substantive and um, incredibly uh, fruit-bearing. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We commit this podcast to you. Use it, and you get the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us with the Catholic Nerds podcast. This has been Scott Smith. And Colby Allen. And we have been joined by special guest, Reverend Arnold Colbert. <laughs> Take that time. Also in 50 his, minutes. And his lovely wife of almost 37 years, yes, Miss Barbara. Yes. Please do subscribe to the Catholic Nerds Podcast. Uh, tell all your friends, Catholic or not, pro-life or pro-choice. And remember, the pro-life movement is not over. It is always beginning anew in you. Thank you. Bum 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 b